Welcome to Yela Mensa, exploring cross-centered contextual justice in the South African context. Yela Mensa is a ministry of East Pumbana, Center for Biblical Justice. I am your host, David Kluter, and with me is my man, as usual, John Skippers. Hey, everybody. John, this is your this is your moment. This is your moment. This is my moment. Uh, my so I, <laughs> I have nothing, moment. man. I got nothing. I got to hate. How are you doing? How's everyone going? He's got to hate. He's got to hate. Is that all you got? I, I keep offering to do a rap, but you keep uh, you keep shooting it down. So I don't know what else you want me to do in this. Man, I, I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting that that was your thing. I keep forgetting. Well, it was your thing. That is your thing. That is your thing. Um, um I think we might uh, be stretching well, the truth here, but but okay. <laughs> I think let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, guys. Today uh, we're going to talk about racial trauma. Um, we want to we want to discuss what it is. Um, how does it affect us? Uh, how has the church contributed and continues to contribute uh, to ongoing racial trauma? And what could uh, it look like for the church uh, to be a community of hope and of healing for those who suffer from racial trauma? To help us think through these uh, very tough uh, questions today, uh, we have Helen Malchas with us. Uh, Helen is both a trained psychologist and a Christian. Well, she's not a trained Christian. Well, I think she's a maybe. She, well, she's a Christian. She's a Christian. You don't get trained to be a Christian. You 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 get to Jesus, and Jesus says, "Welcome." What's the end? What's the end? I'm trying to I'm trying to lighten the mood here. I'm trying to lighten the mood. Yeah. Well, she's a trained psychologist, and she's a wonderful Christian. Um, <laughs> Helen, welcome to Yellow Mensa. Thanks, David. Thanks, John. Good to be here, guys. Hi, nice Helen. Good to have you with, with us. Helen, uh, listen, I'm, I'm, um, this is the vibe the demon John and I has. Um, you, you'll get used to it as, as, as the conversation goes. Okay. This, this, cool. this, is from, this is from years of friendship and uh, mentorship. He was everything. Um, mentor first, and then um, oh, friendship. Oh, oh. Well, look at his face. He's like, yeah, no, uh, not mentor. I don't, I don't know about the everything part. I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> friends, yeah, <laughs> friends, friends, friends. <laughs> Helen, uh, once again, just welcome to Yellow Mensa. Won't you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, what you what you do, and your faith journey? Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it's really nice to be here. Um, so, I am a psychologist. Um, I. I yeah, came to psychology kind of late in my life. So um, first started a journey in um, corporate, working in HR, and then really felt the calling um, to pursue postgraduate studies in psychology. Um, so I studied my, I did my honors and my master's. In fact, it was the year that I got married. I decided to embark on postgraduate studies. Never, never yeah. a good idea, but um, <laughs> that, that was what I did. Um, I always say thank you to my, my dear husband, Alfonso. I think he was very long-suffering and gracious in allowing me to pursue this dream of mine. So, yeah, I'm yeah. Married, married to Alfonso. Um, in fact, John preached at our wedding, so John huh? and I really do go away. Wow, we do, yeah. Um, wow, yeah, wow, yeah. wow. So yeah. It's a long, long journey. Um, I grew up in Grassy Park, um, and mm. so those are my roots. Um, Mom and Dad still both still live there, um, so yeah, I really consider that to be my my home where I grew up. Um, wow, at the moment, that's great! I am living in Plumstead. I have two children. Um, Alex is eleven, soon to be twelve, and Hannah Ooh. is seven. So wow, yeah. Oh. So um, that's fantastic. 
In terms of my work, I I have my own practice. Um, I recently moved mm. my practice to my home, so busy kind of navigating and adjusting to working from home. Um, and then I, I work with an organization called Students for a Better Future, um, and I, I'm, I've got a part-time contract with them, um, offering psychosocial support to the scholars that they sponsor. Um, so, yeah, that's my, that's my work journey. I think my faith journey... Um, I've always, um, I've been trained as a Christian, you said it, um, grown up in a, in, a, in, a, in a Christian home, but I think really um, found my own faith journey when I was at university um, and as a student started mm-hmm. attending um, Christ Church in Kenilworth and that's where I really found my spiritual home. Uh, so that's where my family and I still worship. Um, yeah. And I think my, my journey with... Um, with Jesus is it's it's complicated. I think we we love one another physically, but I can also get quite angry at the stuff that I see in the world mm. around me. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Nah, that's a Facebook status there. Yeah, <laughs> complicated. It's complicated. It's yeah. But with him, he 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 understands. He understands, and he Luckily, knows, hey? and he loves, Luckily. and yeah. he. He, he's 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 a he's a god that that that's just in our corner. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's get into our first question. Yeah. Um, uh, so talking about the race, uh, especially race, repentance, justice, and reconciliation, mm. uh, these things have been you know the conversation currently is world over and everybody is just into the conversation and we've never seen anything like this before. Uh, of course, uh, for certain communities, these are not new conversations, um, but this global conversation is something completely unusual. Uh, you think about the States, you think about how it's affected South Africa and all over the world and, and, and people are really coming alongside on the conversation or not, mm. well, they're coming onto the, on board with the conversation. Mm. But black people in particular, uh, we are marching, they're telling their stories uh, after years of years of silence. They are speaking up boldly about uh, current injustices. And this is a phenomenon uh, we see both within and without the church, outside of the church. Mm. And mm. I want to ask, what effects could this have on the psychology or psychological well-being of black people, both mm. positively and negatively, of mm. always pouring out, of always giving, of always... I mean, remember, this is, this is years of years of conversation that's been mm. had. And now we, we come to this moment where everybody's all of a sudden open, but also there's a lot of... I, I can't... There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff happening at the moment mm. while mm. this conversation mm. is happening. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, speaking from my, from my own experience and also from what I see with some of the people that I work with, um, I think it's been, on the one hand, it's been really good because there's a, there's a catharsis that's been happening. So people have been able to maybe for the first time actually give voice to experiences that they've had. Um, I, I notice in my work with, um, with, university students who maybe went to like private schools like Herschel or Bishops for the first time actually realizing what something like, you know, the damage of the microaggressions that they've experienced, what that's done to them. So on the one hand, it's, it's raised the awareness of um, all people in terms yeah. of the effects of racism. Yeah. So people are more open mm. to that. 
Um, but I think on the other side, it's just been really exhausting, you know, as a, as a black person, it's just like, I'm tired of this, you know? I mean, I think um, in, in my workspace, having been called in to facilitate groups for students, to facilitate group for groups for colleagues, to speak about racism, I think it's just tiring because mm. this has been happening all along. And you go like, but this is not new, guys. Yeah. This has been happening. Can you guys not see yeah. how this has been happening? Um, and even in even in a church space where you know suddenly um, Christchurch is a is a very it's it's a white space. I mean, let's let's say say it what as it is. Right. Um, and suddenly having people, you know, like some leaders in the church, you know, kind of calling me and wanting to have conversations oh, about wow. this now, where I'm like. Okay, that's interesting that you would put this on the table now, but do you not know that it's actually been going on for such a long time? Um, yeah. So I think on the positive side, it's opened up conversations that maybe wouldn't have had, mm. wouldn't have happened before. Mm. But I think on the on the sure. negative side, it's really um, it's stirred stuff mm. and stuff. You know, for me, for example, I've certainly felt that. It's taken me to memories that I've had, um, you know, conversations I've had that have been quite disturbing. So mm. it's kind of had almost like a flashback experience, man. Mm. Um, yeah. So I recall as a university student having a psychology lecturer make some very disparaging marks, remarks about black people, sure. you know, not having the same level of intelligence or ability as as white people. And so it kind of took me to those places. Um, yeah. And I'd imagine for other people, it would have done the same thing. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting it's, time. I, and only as, as a black person, I can say that I, I found it really exhausting and interesting to watch white people's reactions. Um, yeah. You know, like uh, almost like being quite shocked. And I'm like, no, man. <laughs> Where have you been for all this time? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it quite interesting. Just um, the whole story um, with Makai and Tini coming out, which was really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and I just yeah. thought it was so interesting sure. how. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw this way. He, I mean, he got this reputation of being this fitness fanatic who would run to the ground. Yeah. And I grew up hearing yeah. that story. And it turns out sure, that actually sure. it was just the pain of sitting on the bus and being alone yeah. and being excluded yeah. that he just started this routine. And it probably after then became yeah. this thing he did, but it, it began sure. or certainly continued sure. as this pain. And then it was interesting yeah. When, yeah. when, like, for instance, Graham Smith and others, the South African captain mm. at the time, engaged with it. Mm. The, it was this whole, like, we didn't yeah. know. We didn't know. We didn't know. Mm. And I kind mm. of, and, mm. and you kind of go, really? You never noticed this? Um, and it just, it, it just, I mean, mm. I can just imagine, I don't know what, what his reaction yeah. was, but I, yeah. for me, I would imagine if I was Makai and Tini, I'd be going, you didn't know? How, how did you not yeah. know? How did you not yeah. see this? Um, and, and, but uh, the yeah. thing is, yeah, the thing is, why does nobody ask the question? Yes. Um, you know, and I think that's the, you know, that's the more interesting thing is like, why are, why, why, have, why did it take us? This, why did we have to get here in order for people to ask the question? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. why did it take yeah. why did it take my church community such a long time to ask the question? 
Yes. Um, sure. So, I mean, that's that's been it's that's interesting for me. Um, mm, mm. I think it's also highlighted maybe some of the assumptions that we make around, right. like, okay, you know, he's just a fitness fanatic. Maybe right. that's why he runs to the ground. That's why um, But is there something more going on? Maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I just find it weird. I mean, talking about Makaya's story, um, if when you guys come into the room and you perpetually or continuously invite a particular group of teammates, does nobody notice the black guy in the corner sitting and not coming to the dinners, not being invited? Exactly. Like, is it is is he exactly. that? Is, is he is did nobody notice the yeah. teammate like in the corner? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, I mean, I, but yeah. hey, uh, this is know, the context that we live in. And, and David, that's the thing, man. It's like people, black and, and colored people in spaces that are predominantly white are rendered invisible. Yes. So I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example, a church example. Sorry, I'm talking about my church. But anyway, this is, this is what it is. So on a Sunday morning, I will be in church and, you know, everybody will be hugging and sharing the peace. And because I am often in the community where my church is, I will be in the shops in the area. Right. And those same people who have been like buddy-buddy with me, um, the white people, when I'm walking around in the shops and I greet them, won't see me. Sure. Um, and it's that being rendered invisible, I think that is really damaging. And, and mm. so when we come to a construct like, like racial trauma, this is, this is the injury that is mm. caused this is, yeah. as a result of racial bias, that people don't see you. Yes, um, so exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm almost not surprised that, you know, the story is about Mekai and Tini and not being invited to the dinners. It doesn't really surprise me because no. that is what we experience. Um, yeah, or every time, exactly. you know, it, another example, every time, you know, I've been going to the church for years and sometimes if I hadn't been for a while, someone will ask me, hi, you know, like, are you a visitor? And yeah. I'm like, this is the invisibility. Um, yeah. You, so, are you serious? Yeah. Yes, I'm serious. <laughs> well, yeah. wow. I, because I know you guys, I know the story that your husband always tells and I'm going to tell uh. your husband always tells the story of being greeted by, and I don't know if the demographics have changed now, but be, be constantly being greeted by the name of the only other colored guy who was at yeah. church and the, yeah. and the church community. Yeah. And no, saying, I know that. I, and I know saying, that. I no, no, I'm, I'm Alfonso. Yeah. I'm the other guy. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm the other guy. It, it would be funny wow. in one sense. I mean, it is wow. funny when yeah. he tells it, but it, it would be funnier if it was an yeah. isolated example. But we know yeah. that that's not the yeah. only church. It's not the only community that yeah. happens time yeah. and time again. I remember I talking to students. Yeah. Um, at churches saying that they get asked if they knew almost every yeah. week and they, they've yeah. been there for years. Yeah, um, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it, is, yeah. it is not unique. So, so when we, yeah. when we, Ellen, when we talk about racial trauma, what are we talking about? Mm. Um, what, what is racial trauma? Uh, mm. And how does it affect people? And what does it look like if, if someone, also, how does, what does it look like some, for someone, if someone is experiencing it? Um, I mean, just just the manifestation of it. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read you what I what I was I was doing some research on this because I was telling John earlier, like I know what it feels like, but I did, you know, like I wanted to just get like a real succinct definition. So I'm gonna read what I, what I found. 
Um, and it says it's mental, emotional injury caused by encounters with racial bias and ethnic discrimination and hate crimes. Now, obviously, sure. that's quite a wide-ranging definition. Right. Um, but yeah. I think the thing that that's, that kind of stands out for me is the, the emotional injury that's mm. caused by encounters with this racial bias. Mm. So it comes out of individual experiences with racial bias. So like yeah. I said, you know, my experiences with that um, psychology professor at Stellenbosch or some of the encounters, um, more direct encounters. But it also comes as a result of living in a, in a context where there's systemic racism. Um, right. And so much as we say, I mean, you know, for the large part, apartheid has been dismantled and that would be regarded as systemic institutionalized racism. Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, the systemic racism is still there. Mm. So it's living in this, you know, this almost like continuous trauma. Sometimes yes. it feels for me um, where yeah. on the one hand, I'm, I'm experiencing the racism at, at an individual level, but also at a systemic level. Okay. So, so, so that, that was what was interesting for me um, in some of my research, but also this idea that there's, there's kind of direct trauma that comes from, say, a direct encounter with someone who's overtly racist, okay. or maybe not so overtly mm -hmm. racist. But then there's also a kind of vicarious trauma um, that uh, is either passed mm -hmm. on by uh, generations or it's stuff that gets stirred up when you are listening to someone else's story. So, mm. for example, in my work, in my work as a therapist, I have um, dealt with a lot of, I'm going to use the example of um, Peace Must Fall, Rose Must Fall. Right. I've counseled a lot of those students. Um, right. And I find that by listening to those stories, those stories of, trauma or of racist um, practices or experiences, I am also traumatized. Right. Um, so I think this notion of, oh. of racial trauma, it's quite complex. It's not just I'm experiencing racism, so I'm traumatized. Right. It's actually individual as well as living in the systemic racism. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to just, I, I mean, there's, there's, I can go on about what it looks like, but maybe we yeah. want to just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to go if you want. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's very interesting because I think even though it's not, a, like, it's not, a, it's not clinically diagnosable, um, there are people who are actually calling for it to become okay. a, labeled as a mental disorder because of the impact that it has. Hmm. Um, and so it manifests in post-traumatic stress-like wow. symptoms. Um, so, for example, irregular sleeping patterns, maybe a sense of fatigue, insomnia, sure. um, nightmares, or like reliving wow. an event that happened. Um, and I know I can, I can say this for myself, like in that time when the whole Black Lives Matter stuff was happening. Um, there was a thing on social media, uh, we silence, you amplify. And I was following that quite closely right. because of my work with students. I mean, I experienced this. I experienced that sense sure. of fatigue, the not being able to sleep, just being occupied with this all the time. Um, 
And obviously what stress also does is at the physiological level, it um, increases the amount of cortisol in our system. And that can lead to a whole lot of physiological um, factors like sure. um, just, you know, just a slowing down because cortisol is related to the fight or fight okay. flight system. Right. So it, yeah. it really triggers that anxiety system. Okay. Um, so you can see where this goes. And mm. um, some mm. people experience maybe extreme anxiety, even depression. So these are the, I mean, the effects are quite serious. Um, mm. So it's like PTSD-like symptoms. Sure. Um, sure. So, yeah. Can I, can I ask a question? Um, just yeah. back, ahead, to, back to the core, like just the causes there. Um, mm. So it's interesting that it's, it's kind of like PTSD, uh, whereas that is obviously a, what, often like one or a series of really significant events, mm. if I'm understanding mm. it. Mm. Whereas yeah. Yeah. racial trauma may have that, but like mm. what you said, mm. it, it can also be like a thousand, if you can say, little events exactly. happening every single exactly. day that like exactly. cut away, cut away, cut away, yeah. cut away. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. so, I mean, I would imagine that that could be a lot harder to yeah. to kind of spot because you're going, what happened? Yeah. Nothing, it wasn't, a, yeah. nothing, yeah. in one sense, nothing happened, yeah. but everything yeah. happened kind of. Yeah. It's life. And, and you know, the thing about, the thing for me about trauma that I've come to understand um, with any kind of trauma is that it chips away at that sense of, of who you are. So mm. it chips away at your identity. Um, and so I think yeah. for black people, and I know for me as a, as a colored person, um, you start thinking that you need to change because of this chipping away that happens. Yeah. So an example yeah. would be, um, you know, the way we speak. So this notion of code switching that happens. Yes. Um, so when I come wow. into a space that's, mm. predominantly, that's predominantly white, I find myself code switching, like wow. I will adapt my accent and, you know, be a little bit more rah-rah than what I normally am. Um, and, and yet, you know, like you have to question, like, is that who we really are? Yeah. And I mean, I grew up in Clifton Grassy yeah. Park. I mean, like, yeah. come on, you know. But, <laughs> but, but yeah. you, have yeah. to, you, you have to do this, like, shape-shifting. Right. So you're losing part of yes. who you are. Um, sure. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. significant. Yeah. Hmm. And so your identity gets chipped away. I, I, I was, um, so I've been involved in many conversations over this last while, but, but I just, I wrote, down a, I wrote down a comment that I heard from one of the speakers, and it, this was the comment. How much of myself do I need to leave behind in order to exist here? Wow. So, I mean, that's wow. like so profound. Like wow. in a space. That is, that so, is deep. In a school where I go to, how much of myself must I leave behind in order to exist here? I mean, like, your that was just like, sure. Um, and so when I think yeah. about when I think about racial trauma, I mean, that is it. Like, I yeah. need to say I'm taking off a little bit of myself in sure. order to enter this predominantly white space. I mean, right. that is not okay. That's not yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many, so many things that's just going off in my mind. Um, uh, things that I remember one, one particular uh, young student said to me, working in student ministry, she said, you know, I don't show any weakness when I'm in, in the company of, of, of white people. 
Sure. And I don't, I make sure that's, that's mental. That's, mm. that's, uh, in terms of my profession, mm. I, I, I do not, I do not cry in front of them. Wow. I do not. And, and we had to have a serious conversation. Why, why mm. did you, do you feel the need to build all that, mm. you know, mm. all these walls in order for you just to every mm. single day, when you're in the presence, when you enter a room, mm. you enter into a presence, mm. into a, into a, into conversation, this is what you have to do. Another mm-hmm. student at this at this this mm-hmm. sort of conversation with another student then said to me, "You know what, David? Um, one of the things that I do is that whenever I see a black lecturer, I make sure that that lecturer mm-hmm. is seen and mm-hmm. felt mm-hmm. about their worth and and what they're mm-hmm. doing here." Mm-hmm. Wow. He said, "Whenever we go for break up, uh, like breakout mm-hmm. sessions in mm-hmm. terms of group work and stuff, and there's mm-hmm. white people in in our conversation." Those who are a little bit more woke, those who are on the conversation have mm-hmm. shared with me that within their circles, mm-hmm. students within their circles, black lecturers are looked at as less, you yeah. know, yeah. competent. Yeah. And yeah. so she, what she has, this black, other this yeah. black students, what she has mm-hmm. resolved mm-hmm. to do is that whenever mm-hmm. she's there, she always looked the lecture in the eye. Mm-hmm. She always takes, she, ex, she goes the extra mile to make wow. that yeah. person feels, feels worth. And I'm yeah. worth it. And all. Yeah. Oh, you're a kind of worth. And I was just thinking the kind of emotional mm. texting that exactly. t- the student. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm sure the lecturers know. Yeah. And in the mock, you, you know, there's evaluations that come after every, every class, or every, mm. every semester, mm. or every, uh, mm. you know, every term. Mm. And they can assess and they can see what, yeah. the, what those perceptions are between the race groups yeah. and between the students. Yeah. Um, sure. and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Each, and this is, this is, these are, these are kids, these are students that when I speak to them in my Bible study, they don't want to talk about race. Yeah. Wow. When, whenever yeah, I talk yeah. about race, they say, no, David, I'm not into that conversation. But when I say, listen, how are you doing? And you know what I often do is yeah. I say, do not hide your blackness for me because I'm colored. Mm-hmm. Let, I don't even want it to leak. I want you to pour mm-hmm. it out on me. How are you doing? And when they share mm-hmm. that stuff, there's a whole lot of black stuff that comes mm-hmm. out. Yeah. I don't mean yeah. bad stuff by black. I mean a lot of them. Yeah. A lot of cultural lived experience and felt experience that come yeah. out. And I said like, guys, but when I trying to open the Bible and trying to speak from scripture with this stuff, you guys shut me up. Mm-hmm. And that's also mm-hmm. a mechanism of trying to cope mm-hmm. with yes. yeah. dealing with this stuff yeah. all the time. I don't want to come to Jesus yeah. and deal with this stuff here mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. I just I just want to pick up on something you said because um, I, I used to do some lecturing um, for for many years, and um, it's so interesting as a as a coloured like academic in that space, like how students used to um, judge me differently um, and almost not give me the same credit as my white colleagues. Yeah. Um, and, and so even our, our ratings at the end of the semester, like you knew that you were going to be marked down. Wow. If you said something wow. or pushed someone's buttons, you knew that someone was going to come down hard on you. But, you know, if you were a white academic in that space, it wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah. So, so students are always questioning. Um, and this always troubled me because I think to myself, these are, you know, like 18, 20 year olds who have not gr- grown up under the, yes. you know, the systemic racism and yet it's still there. Mm. Um, wow. 
So I think that this, you know, when we speak about this intergenerational almost like transmission, I think, you know, the some of these ideas, they shape us even before we are born. Yeah. So we, we kind of sure. we yeah. come into this world like with those almost like ideas. Um, mm. And it's, it's, it's crazy, but, you know, like it just gets perpetuated somehow. And so it just becomes a cycle that goes mm. on and on and on. And unless we have these kind of conversations, we're never going to break the cycle. Right. So right. on the one hand, you know, I mean, it's great that we are talking about these things because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot that needs to so be I, done. You, you sp- talking about what needs to be done. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. I want to speak a little bit more on what has not been done or what mm-hmm. has been done adversely and in mm-hmm. in in perpetuating this this mm-hmm. um this trauma that is that is that is uh mm-hmm. that black mm-hmm. people are sitting with black and colored uh, and you name mm-hmm. it people of color mm-hmm. in this country mm-hmm. um has been mm-hmm. sitting with uh so in what ways has the church in mm-hmm. the past contributed uh towards mm-hmm. racial trauma and the church today continuing to contribute towards racial trauma yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the church in its silence has colluded with racism. Um, so I would say the biggest thing is, is silence and the silence that has colluded with that systemic racism. Um, and in a large way, the church has mirrored what is happening in society. Yes. Mm. So, yeah. you know, churches, if you think about if I think about southern suburbs churches where I where I live, um, who are the leaders? They are white, white. males. That yeah. is just perpetuating the the mm. system that's out there. Mm. Um, and 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 also churches have not really have not really seen. I think I think here's the problem. This whole rainbow nation thing, yeah. So we came out think, of 94, we, we, we <laughs> yeah. had this like kumbaya moment, rainbow nation, mm. we like forget about it, we don't see color anymore. Mm. The color blindness of the church, I think, has meant that we haven't had these conversations. Yeah. Because Jesus loves yeah. everybody, you know, um, Jesus loves us all. Hallelujah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so it was, doesn't matter whether I'm black or colored because color doesn't matter. Nonsense. Yeah. Color does, it does matter. matter. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that's the thing for me is that color does matter. So it's interesting. Our church now bless them. Now they're trying to do some work around this. <laughs> But the message, the sermon series gets couched in this idea of cultural differences. Yes, I've heard so that's even coming that, from you. Mm. That is silencing. The issue is racism. Let's yeah. put it on the table and look at it and examine what it is. Um, sure. it's, it's, it's so interesting, Helen. Can I ask I mean, for an I example? Oh, okay. You can go. You can go. And then I would love, Helen, to give an example of... I'm intrigued by this cultural, mm-hmm. like what do, what do people mean by, how do you couch it in, in or there's cultural differences? Mm-hmm. So, so the, um, so they, yeah. So, so instead of naming it as racism, we're going to talk about how yeah. we are, how we are different, but race does not come up in a conversation about how we are necessarily different. Do mm-hmm. you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's I get what you're saying. to talk yeah. about, I don't know, like other differences, but it's more tricky. Some I don't, and I don't understand why it's more difficult to talk about 
how we yeah. are different because of our race. Mm. Okay, more individualism, uh, so. yeah. uh, you know, communal culture. Mm. It, it, yeah. it, it goes with those two. And then, yeah. yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what you yeah. mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John? Yeah, yeah um, I, th- I think it's this, this thing as well is that we, we don't want to name the sin. And so we, we kind of we always find ways to get around it. We always find ways mm-hmm. to soft pedal it. And we do it with others. Mm-hmm. But mm-hm. and when it comes to racism, so we don't we don't want to name it. We don't want to be honest about it um, somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think it's problematic. Mm-hmm. And and then when we, we come across we come across things, and I think rightly we can say, like biblically and biologically, there's no such thing as race. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So then we mm-hmm. we just wipe it away. And I'm, mm. I'm just thinking, but I mean, we know that sociologically it's an extremely powerful construct. Yeah, yeah, but it's, and it's yeah. no less powerful because it's we can't, it's not biologically verifiable. Yeah. And I think yeah, I never, yeah. and for somehow, I, I don't know, for somehow, I don't understand this why the, in the church and in our theology we think that sociology doesn't play a, mm. a part in it, mm. that somehow context mm. and the way we've been socialized doesn't yeah. affect our theology. So, Almost if we ignore it, it, yeah. it won't be there. And I'm going, no, it, yeah. it's still there. Yeah. Um, it's Yes, it's not yeah. biological, so I get that. But why, yeah. why are we so scared of sociology? And, I mean, I suppose as someone in psychology, you will know that sometimes mm-hmm. the church, we're afraid of, of psychology, psychology as well. We've, we're scared of all these, 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 these mm-hmm. other aspects of God's gifts yeah. to us to learn about creation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's just such a, and it can be problematic. Um, yeah. But I also think, John, I think there's, you know, from a from a historical point of view, I think almost think that the church kind of saw like, okay, the dismantling of apartheid, okay, we've done that tick. We right. had the TRC, we've done that yes. tick now, we're all just moving on. Yes. Um, but unfortunately, I mean, it was interesting. I was listening to um on a on a webinar last week and Wilhelm Favut spoke about how he thinks one of the biggest disservices was that the TRC didn't do the deeper work that was needed that was needed to happen that needed to happen. Yes. Um, and so I think that you know the church, like they there seems to be this thinking in South Africa that we've ticked all these boxes. Right. So we should just have moved on. Mm. But not realizing that you know the system is so the, the systemic racism is so pervasive that the whole system needs an overall. Um, mm. And that includes the yeah. church, because mm. the church, for the largest part, is just a mirror of what is happening at the societal level. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think we forget that we, the church, in particular evangelical church, has theologically defended this thing called apartheid and this thing called, you know, separation by race and superiority separate and inferiority. Yeah. Separate, yeah, all that stuff. We, we, we... When I say we, a particular mm. wing of we, <laughs> but the church has has supported this 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 mm. ideology, yeah. and it has gone mm. with this ideology, and mm. and and mm. and that for me is how the church has probably played a role, mm. and I think we need to play a more active role in mm. undoing and mm. undoing yeah. it, um, yes, and dismantling what's yeah. happening. Well, I know that that that. Yeah, John. I was gonna say I think we've got a very weak doctrine of, of repentance and forgiveness. And that actually mm, yeah. and, and when it comes to, 
to trauma um, I might be on mm. stepping on mm. Helen's toes here mm. but I mean those mm. are key aspects mm. of of healing mm. is yeah. is is yeah. really is is admitting your sins is admitting your faults admitting what what has yeah. happened yeah. uh whether it's yeah. done to yeah. you or by you yeah. and then and then yeah. moving forward but if we have a very weak doctrine yeah. of being able to 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 mm. to repent and to forgive mm. you know forgiveness mm. is like yeah. forgive and forget I mean, mm, and, and mm, I think Christians really mm, hold that. That's mm. unbiblical. It's not, yeah. you won't find it in yeah. the Bible. I mean, it's, it's not unbiblical. Yeah. It's just bad, bad wisdom at every level, probably. Yeah. But it's certainly not biblical. And, yeah. and, and, you know, John, one of the most healing moments for me in, in terms of my own racial trauma, um, which I can actually name now, I think, mm. was having a conversation with a friend of mine, um, a, white, a white friend of mine. He was, he was coming for dinner with Alphonse and I. And he sat us down and he said to us, like with tears pouring down his face, like, Helen Alfonso, I want to apologize for sure. what I, as a white person, what my family has done to you and to, sure. you know, colored people and black people. And I mean, that is, that was the most poignant moment for me because it made me realize that here is a white man who sees me. He sees sure. He sees the pain we've gone through yeah. and he's willing to, he's willing to own it, man, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's when, you know, that's when, um, that's when the healing comes for yeah. me as a black person, but also for my yeah. white friend yes. um, who says like, Helen, I see you. How can I, how can I do better um, in this mm-hmm. space? Um, and so one of the things that I've come to realize that this thing of, of um of trauma there's you know trauma often we we think of it in such a negative way but i think a lot of healing can come relationally um and especially from a racial point of view i think healing comes when we can meet the other and see the other um and just be authentic um in that space um Mm. so Yeah. yeah Helen, I want to I wanna probe this idea of, you know, how certain experts talk about, you know, certain people living in areas where there's perpetual violence of, you know, any kind, you can, gangsterism, you can, you can, you can name a couple of them, where there's this perpetual violence that's been, you know, perpetrated. And that trauma, you know, and how some people can, people in those communities can sometimes or have a tendency to normalize that this is just, you know, this is just what happens. Yeah, um, I remember yeah, one one yeah. one evening I took when I was when I was still serving in Lavender Hill I took kids home around nine o'clock mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we were they were mm-hmm. so scared you know just going back that late uh, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them said in the said in the car you know we're going to Lavender Hill mm-hmm. and we paused mm-hmm. and I wanted to say to him sure. you know that's the wrong way of thinking but I'm like mm-hmm. he's going back mm-hmm. here but there's a there's mm-hmm. a normalized there's, there's a way of mm-hmm. I've seen mm. death. I know mm. death. Somebody's mm. going to get killed this weekend. This is going to happen yeah. again. This is going to happen sure. again. So there's this normalization of, yeah. of you know, yeah. that trauma or that, that's what happened. Is yeah. it possible yeah. that, that this, yeah. that there's something similar that, yeah. you know, with the racial trauma? Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. What happens is for people who live in the situation of um, a context of continuous trauma, there's a there's a hypervigilance that happens. So you know, like those guys in Man in Lavender Hill, 
Um, or another com- another example would be, you know, a, a community like like Manenberg as an example, where there's mm. high levels of violence. Um, I think that for me, as a coloured person, when I come into a space that's predominantly white, immediately I go like, you have to kind of like check out, okay, what do I need to do? How do I need to perform? Um, mm. What parts of me do I need to leave behind, for example, in order to fit in? Um, so I think it's happening all the time, and I think we we don't even we don't even clock that we're doing it because we've become such experts at it. Um, sure. You know, we've become. I mean, I'm I'm 48. I mean, I've lived with this all my life. I know now what I need to do. I need to speak in a particular way. Um, I need to um, you know speak about particular constructs. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Like for the longest time. I mean, I grew up in Grassy Park, and like I sometimes used to think, like, sure, do some of these white people even know where Grassy Park is? Um, you know, so you kind of leave things out and you edit your story, sure. um, and that's not okay because that's wow. what I spoke about—the kind of chipping away yeah. at who oh. you are. Um, I know, I know, I know. I know. You know, yeah, you know. Yeah, I know. That, you, do you do you do the same thing? Yeah, I've I've experienced it. Um, I mean. Yeah, you. I mean, I remember one one time. Um, uh, I just came to the Lord. I was dating this girl, and uh, um, these were we were coming from friends, white friends, and they gave us a lift home. Mm-hmm. And I was staying in the heart of my mom stays in the heart of Elsie's sort of a Clark Estate. You know, mentioned Clark Estate. Everybody knows. You know, you don't mm-hmm. go to the Clark. Don't go to Clarky. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were we were going, and I and I and I literally got off five kilometers away from my house, right. and I yeah. walked home. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, you guys are not going to see where I stay. What are you guys yeah. going to think of me? Yeah. I don't want, yeah. I don't want to be associated yeah. with that. Sure, um, yeah. I don't want you guys to think of me in that in that way. Yeah. And I've yeah. seen it with 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 sure. black and colored people um, whom I've ministered and discipled. The same yeah. thing happened. Yeah. They fill yeah. in a form. They they're not completely honest. I mean, yeah. their presence. They talk about where they stay. They don't. They don't say where they stay. Yeah. And and yeah. and it's embarrassing yeah. for you. And you're like, no, but mm. you don't stay mm. there. Mm. Mm. And and it, it it's just there. And mm. in particular, this mm. thing of living mm. in a or being in a being in a white context. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, and it, and it happens with with people with black people or people of color. Mm. You know, I work with mm. two white mm. guys. Um, Wonderful Christian man, love the Lord Jesus. Um, I, when the, all this stuff happened, was happening, and we started having conversations amongst ourselves, you know, but mm. how do I experience these things? How do these things happen? I said, guys, this happens every single day. Right. I get into mm. the office. Uh, wow. Black students come in. Black students come in. Who do they greet? Mm. They greet the two of you. Mm. Do, none mm. of you say, but David is also a staff worker. Mm. Mm. Black students mm. walk into our office, assume mm. that the two mm. white guys is the guy. Now, mm-hmm. I see this every day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. I know it becomes normal. Like, I know mm-hmm. the black mm-hmm. and the colored guy will not mm-hmm. greet me. Yeah. They, they will not yeah. see me as, as you know, this. Yeah. As, yeah. as the person. And I've said this <laughs> multiple mm-hmm. times with the guys. Mm-hmm. When we shared this a couple of weeks ago, the guys mm-hmm. went, mm-hmm. And I was like, guys? <laughs> I didn't say guys. I was just like... I've spoken yeah. about this before. Yeah. I've yeah. told you this happens a yeah. lot. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and that thing of, of you, of, of when, you're, when you're a white person, you don't walk around thinking you're white. 
Yeah. We walk into a room yeah. and we know yeah. we're black. Yeah. yeah. We walk yeah. down the street. When we even go yeah. home, we know, yeah. relax. Yeah. You are black and you're amongst a bunch yeah. of black people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the only place, yeah. I think, the only yeah. place black people can truly be themselves is mm. in the black church. Mm. Mm. Black and mm. colored churches. That's the only place mm. where we can lift mm. our hands, where we can be mm. our authentic, mm. true mm. self. Even in multiracial mm. churches, multi-ethnic mm. churches. Those mm. churches are usually where it's black and white, are usually mm. white mm. churches that black people went to. Mm. How do you know it's yeah. truly accommodating mm. and a truly mm. embracing? Yeah. It's, 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 it's how it looks. Yeah. It's how free yeah. the black people feel to be black in that church yeah. in worship. Yeah. To yeah. raise their hands, to clap, yeah. and to, yeah. to, to say uh, amen after every second word. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, yeah. to, to just give expression to, to, to who mm. they are in worship. Mm. Speak a language um, in English. But, is it, but isn't it interesting, David, how, um, you know, like, as black people, we always have to fit in yes. and, and be accommodated. We're like, you don't see white people yep. kind of, like, changing the way they speak. I mean, like, where does yep. that even come from? You know, sure. um, mm. but also the fact about um, Alfonso shared an interesting thing with me as as like when 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 two things that are different come together. So when when a place that's predominantly white, when a black person enters, both have to change. But what yes. ha- what's happened over time is that because the white has dominated and been supreme for such a long time, there's no change that happens here. But the change always needs to happen. Black people always need to change. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's for me is this the injustice that comes with this this level of systemic racism. Mm, um, yeah. And mm. that's where the change needs to happen. I mean, I work with young people. Um, so many of our scholars are black and colored students, scholars who get into these really, really wonderful schools. Wonderful schools. And here they encounter for the first time, you know, um, microaggressions, the way they speak. Um, Somebody told me an example of somebody who went to Springfield, a a colored woman, and she had to go for like elocution lessons in order to speak. What? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so again, it's that thing about I need to leave myself behind, part of myself behind in order to enter the space. Um, sure, yeah. Yeah, know, so it's, yeah. So, yeah. John? I, I was just going to say, it's, it's just so interesting, is that, and I, I think, David, you you might have commented on Facebook or you commented on something, and it was just, just we're just talking about leaving something behind and how you are never trusted. Oh, it was your story that made me think of this. Is it even in this whole woke thing that's happening, even in this whole reconciliation thing, what, what I'm seeing happening time and time again is suddenly, um, and I'm seeing this in the church, I can't speak for wider than that, but I'm fairly sure it's probably happening wider than that, is suddenly we're having white men who are having this woke moment, who are having this this revelation and are now talking about racism and now talking about um, things that are wrong in the church and people are lapping it up. And in one sense, I don't want to be like, I mean, that's yeah. a good thing, right? It's good that we're getting that, but I'm like, but I know, I, and I talk to black people and black people going, but we've been saying this. We've been saying this again and again and again, and no one's been listening. And now suddenly, you know, John Skippers has this work moment and he shares a video and or uh, writes a, a blog post. And now everyone's going, this is amazing. Um, and so even then, I'm yeah. like, it's, it's almost like 
I, I mean, I hesitate to say, but it's mm. almost like you're re-traumatizing even in mm. the act of repentance mm. and reconciliation. Yeah. And I feel like this is how yeah. complex well, and messed up this thing is. Yeah, this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, does, and yeah. Yeah. Mm. Go ahead, go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know we can we can talk we can talk about this we can talk about this. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to know how does our faith how does how does our Christian faith help us to face and overcome racial trauma? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think for me, um, the one thing, and I'll just speak from my personal experience because I'm not a theologian. I think that the one thing that really helps me is that I know that God loves me unconditionally. I know that. So if I know that, then that means that my blackness is is okay. Um, And that means that I am part of this Christian family, no matter how messed up it is. Sure. This is is what I'm part of. Um, And so my faith really, it really grounds me um, in terms of understanding that, you know, this is something that's bigger than me and, and, and God's got this, you know, in a in a very kind of simplistic way. I somehow sure, believe yeah. that. Um, yeah. Alphonse and I have been having lots of conversations about church and about, well, you know, like, is there hope for this church? And and I go, like, I have to believe that there is hope. I have to believe that in Jesus there is hope, there is healing that can come. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. he's, just, he's taught us so much about, about love, about loving our neighbors about who our neighbors are, mm. and so I think if we if we go to the Bible and we read some of those stories again, we see examples there. Mm. Um, yeah. So the sermon that I listened to on Sunday in in church was was the the minister used um, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and the encounter that Jesus has with her, um, and and that really was, it was quite interesting for me because this notion of being seen. Um, and right. I think that's what Jesus offers me. He sees okay. me. Um, right. He sees beyond, you know, everything. And, and, and he sees me and he accepts me. So, so that for me and Jesus' teaching around, around sure. love, around justice, around all those things, when I think about that, I go like somewhere I have to hold on to the hope that mm-hmm. the church has something to offer this conversation. Um, yeah. And that the church's voice, like the teachings of Jesus, are so powerful. Right. Um, yeah. We know that. And, and yeah, I yes, have to believe that. Um, mm. yeah. and, and if I didn't, then I may as well throw in the towel. Um, because <laughs> I do believe in the church as an institution. It's the, but yeah. I also believe in the church as, as, as the bride of Christ. And so mm. what does that mean? Um, yeah. You know? Yeah, so good. Yeah, I think, I think there's a when we think of the cross, there's a I don't want to call it decolonization, but I think there's a there's a way we need to read as black people and own, you know, how we how we read society and how we read life. We need to start thinking about how do we use those tools and come to the Bible with those tools. And mm. trying to see the depth mm. of, of what the scriptures are actually saying because we've spiritualized mm. the Bible so much yeah. so that mm. even if we look mm. at the cross mm. and we see at the cross Jesus overcomes, mm. you know, mm. sin uh, mm. and brokenness mm. in the world, uh, mm. you know, it, it doesn't get 
defined. It doesn't get named. Or we, we it, it just it just get mm. get gets 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 yeah. there. And you read yeah. Hebrews talks about you know this this idea of you know the cross dealt with with guilt and and shame. Mm. Uh, we need to start thinking mm. about those things. We need to start thinking in terms of the character um, um, the categories of you know when Jesus at the cross overcame mm. sin, he also mm. overcame a system. Because the cross was not just a symbol of, yes. in our Christian minds, of, yeah. of of sin overcoming sin, victory yeah. over sin, but yeah. also there yeah. was a it was a Roman political exactly. institution to shame exactly. people, to make them feel yeah. like nothing as a Jew yeah. being crucified yeah. outside of the outside of Jerusalem, exactly. being stripped mm. naked, its dignity destroying, mm. it's it's all of that stuff that's all in there in the cross. Jesus says, at the mm. resurrection, I overcome mm. all of that and I give yeah. you dignity. I yeah. give you value, yeah. and I and I and I yeah. clothe you with 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 my with my with my love, mm. and I clothe mm. you with justification, righteousness, mm. sanctification, and being reconciled. All of that stuff is mm. yours in me through the mm. cross. Yeah, and and yeah. if we if we if we incorporate a theology of the depth of the context yeah. and apply the context mm. to us, and mm. and we must mm. as as people of color, we must own this idea of you know. We can read the Bible for ourselves. <laughs> you have the Holy Spirit. You can interpret the Bible for yourself. Yeah. There are things yeah. that you're going through that you can look in Scripture and say, "Okay, mm. let me be let me be faithful to the text, but let me look at the context. Mm. What is there? What is the depth of the stuff that's in there that I need to get out of there that speaks to who I am, that speaks yeah. to my identity?" Yeah. Yeah, David, can I piggyback off it? Because I mean, I and it might sound like I'm contradicting, but I I know we we're on the same page. But it's just and like I just think as well. It's like we we all like I it just this whole conversation has highlighted with me the importance of reading scripture in community. Um, you know, just yeah. reading scripture mm-hmm. with people who are not like us. Because um, I just I, I mean, you, you you took it to the cross. I'm I'm going to take it like right back to like the first few chapters of the scripture of the Bible, where where well, the first chapter, in fact, where man and woman are made in the image of God with dignity and worth and value. And I'm just wondering, like, if and and it's it's a lovely doctrine kind of floating around up there as this abstract concept. But like, yeah. if we if we like, I mean, if people of color, black people, are bringing uh, racial trauma to their reading of scripture. And they're saying, actually, I made the image of God, but this is not what I experienced. Like, how, how can we in this church be saying this, and yet I'm experiencing this? And we, we, and, and so we actually we, we take that, that 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 beautiful beautiful theology, which which I hold to, and we start to actually read it together. We read it with the realities of our context, and we say, okay, where where do I not experience being made in the image of God? Where does this not work out in the church? I mean, yeah, yeah, we can talk about the world, but let's talk about in the church. Like, just here, where is it? So, and then we start saying, well, do we actually believe this theology? Or is it just lack of stuff that, you know, is it cultural? Or do we actually believe it? Because if we believe it, we have to live it. And that requires change. um, And that requires, you know, hard change. And then, praise God, we have the cross as well. You know, it's not all up to us. So, yeah, just like, yeah. Yeah. Ellen, yeah. Ellen, can I ask you? I, I know because I know we we're running for time. Okay. <laughs> but okay. I want to ask you how how would you how would you advise someone who's listening to this and thinking? Yeah. Oh, I'm listening to all of these. I never had a word for it. Well, yeah. two words: yeah. racial <laughs> trauma. Two two yeah. yeah. But I never I I, yeah. I, ne- I could yeah. never pinpoint it because mm. I'm black and I'm in a mm. on a shame you know culture type. Mm. I'm, I'm wrestling with that, and and for me to own that is is something you know. 
sure. embarrassing. It doesn't feel yeah. right. It doesn't. Yeah. But I know it's there, and I and I, and I now yeah. I have a word. I can I have a handle on it. Mm. Uh, mm. Mm. Sure. Yeah. So um, I think I think David, you're asking what what advice would would I offer? Um, I think that. I think that obviously naming something as it is is the first is the first point of call. Um, so I think being able to come to a place of seeing what it is. I think the next step would maybe be to explore what are the what are the effects of this trauma on you. So right. um, and and this can be done. You know, you can do the work by yourself. I think if you want to speak to somebody that you trust maybe to begin to look at what are the effects of, of the trauma. Because I always think, you know, trauma doesn't only have like a negative effect. It can also have, it can also lead to growth. And sometimes oh. it's an opportunity for, for you to look at your life and to see, okay, how has my resilience developed in the face of this? Um, because I know I can say for myself that, you know, having experienced racial trauma, it really does you come out a little bit stronger at the end in some ways. I mean, as much yeah. as damaging to who you are, you do come away kind of with a sense of, okay, I actually feel proud to be a colored person, um, mm -hmm. you know? So, so it's to hold the, the tension of the damage, but also the opportunity for what we, what we call post-traumatic growth. So what can sure. that look like? Um, so yeah. I think to, to, um, I think to not collude to not collude with the silence because I think when we've been traumatized, we very much there's a shame associated with yes. it, so we tend to want to push it aside. Um, yeah. And I think mm. if you are in a faith community, this is a really good opportunity to begin to to speak about some of this. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, in a space that feels safe. Um, yeah. But I also think um, I also think that. Um, that white people have also been traumatized in this. Um, mm. And so yeah. I think that it's, it's about all of us coming to a place of acknowledging the discomfort, acknowledging the pain, um, but opening up um, not safe spaces, brave spaces, spaces uh -huh. where these conversations can happen, um, right. where people okay. can be a little bit bold in voicing what's been happening um, because I think that we're very good. And, and this is what the party did. I mean, it, yes. it silenced voices. And so people say, I didn't know. And like now I can really see, okay, you really didn't know. Um, uh, but, but now we need to know. And so yeah. now that we know, we need to almost, we need to do better. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I'm going on. I think I've lost your original question. Yeah. No, this is great. No, no, no. You, yeah, this is great. It's yeah. great. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to move it on also. Okay. Uh, so the, yeah, what advice yeah. would you give to churches and yeah. church leaders to okay. create an environment which does continue to help, you know, yeah. So I've, made, I've, made, I've made a long list here. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go I for think it. The, Shoot. The, the first thing is around um, racial literacy. I think that mm. churches don't mm. understand but like racial literacy, you have to do your homework. You have yes. to think about um, how do I how do I engage with my my congregants for lack of a better word. How do I 
educate people around racial literacy. Um, I think from a, from a cultural point of view, how do I not just create inclusion, but belonging? Because I think there's a difference. Like, yeah. I can feel included, but I don't necessarily feel like I belong. Um, so churches have a long way to go to make colored and black people feel like they belong here and That's that true. they don't have to leave part of themselves behind. Oh, um, mm. I also think that um, we need to think about what does what does justice look like in this, you know, in from a racial point of view. What does what does doing better look like? Um, mm. And how how does a church leadership model that for for people who Good. are part of their faith community? Um, and so it's not just about having the conversation because honestly, I'm tired of talking. Like right. we have to do better. What does doing yeah. better look like? Um, and then it's about doing it together. I think that's an important thing. I Good. think John, you spoke about this, like mm. this idea of doing things relationally. And for me, that's where the change happens. Um, mm. So those are some of the things that I've I've written down. I think also to sit with the discomfort because I think very often we want to make it better. And yes. I think the church is very good at yeah. like, oh, we must just make it better. Like, let's not go towards the conflict. But it's sitting with it, with that mm. discomfort. That's when, that's when growth happens. That's when change happens. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So those are, those are some of the things. So I think that's there's... Great. There's the, there's the inclusion. I think that's the one big thing, mm. the racial literacy in terms of teaching. But then it's not only teaching, it's also about doing. And so people right. need to see your actions. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, can I add something? I mean, it, it, you've kind mm. of said it, but I want to like highlight mm. it. It's so interesting when you said it's, it's that the one thing that apartheid really did well was silencing people. And mm, I've experienced mm. in church that that's something that mm. the church has done really well mm. to black and mm. colored people who've spoken yeah. up about these issues is to silence them. Yeah. And I think we mm. need to, mm. we as the church need to take a really hard look at that mm. Mm. Um, mm. because it's, yeah. it's actually not just like unkind or what, it's actually anti mm. the image of God in people. Yeah. It's saying that some yeah. people... Yeah. Some people ha- have more right to speak than others, and I think, yeah, so. I yeah. think for me, that's one of the things I would I'd want to just. I, I think it's it's encapsulated in what you said, but I just wanted to bring mm, it out because mm, when you said yeah. that about apartheid, it just kind of there's a little moment that went off in my head. Going, yeah, well, I know yeah. that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think also it's it's important um, in terms of when you say in terms of racial trauma. Now I'm thinking mm. a pastor or a church is thinking. So what what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, so then people, you know, they, people often then go, they ask, you know, what do you want? <laughs> mm-hmm. They put the onus back on black people. Yeah. Uh, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it's not, what do you want? You specifically black people, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's including one black guy in the staff mm-hmm. team and that's supposed to solve the problem. Um, um, and I think those kind of things need to be need to be thought through a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think there's there's this one important thing, and I got this from Tyler Burns: is this idea of do you guys or do, does the church have a, a you know put like a disciplinary course or, or yes. document? And when I say I don't want to, I don't say you know just oh we have disciplinary what what like has anyone ever been disciplined for racism in yeah. your church? 
it's particularly in multi multi um cultural churches like what does that look like and if you are really serious about it have you put down a document that says you know we do not do we don't do a policy there's the word a policy policy they actually say a policy there's the word yes yes so the africans the erofastan my bro the erofastan so if you if you put, if you put down a policy that mm. actually speaks to the thing and actually say that we know we're going to we're going to we're going to tackle this this thing is so serious mm. that you can go to prison mm. Uh, in our country true for being racist and the church is like yeah about we'll that hug it out. And we will just <laughs> hug it out you know <laughs> yet we have policies for you know child abuse yeah. we have policies for you know we have books and tons of stuff resources for marriage counseling and all kinds <laughs> of stuff we have we have resources but <laughs> we don't have a lot about you know <laughs> this conversation so if so if and i always say this that trauma is not you know there's no kind of a trauma is a trauma so if we view racial trauma in the same way as we do any other trauma right. like we would take it a lot more seriously yeah um yeah. Mm. and so it's interesting because i'm seeing in the sakal in the in the you know in in my work that i think people are becoming a lot more aware of the fact that this actually is a serious thing and it does wow, serious damage to our psyche yes um but also serious damage to our communities um you know i mean if you think about the the divide that this causes um it's really not what jesus would want our communities to look like no. he wouldn't want our mm. churches to look like this um yeah. and so why like you're saying i mean why there's a policy on on child abuse or on protecting children why is there not a policy on racism um because yeah, yeah because we just had it out and we go on but is that good enough no um yeah. no yeah. it's not yeah. yeah i know somebody would probably go like oh why this particular trauma uh hello you lived in a country and you're still living in a country that has uh, it did, this thing didn't start with apartheid this is 350 years of making of racial you know trauma of exactly. discrimination i think at yeah. some point the, yeah. i mean apartheid basically says that government instituted yeah. this yeah. policy yeah. to traumatize yeah. people of color yeah, yeah. i, yeah. I, I think literal. this is a big enough issue for us to say we need a policy on it <laughs> yeah yeah i, I think I, i'm not sure but i think i think yeah. i think yeah. Yeah. come on we need to do yeah. something about it that's true yeah Yeah. Ellen, I want to thank you for mm, for being with yeah. us. Uh man, this has been one of the best um podcasts that I've had this year. Uh I certainly needed I certainly needed this. Um sure. mm. uh, I I did. I did. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure I'll, some of our listeners are, are going to just oh, lap sure. this up and and yeah. have good conversations with us. Right. Uh yeah. guys, um Ellen Thank you for being with us. Yeah. Pleasure. We Pleasure. guys you can check us out on our usual, you know, social media pages. You can follow Yella Menso on Twitter or Istebambano on Facebook. Uh get involved in the discussion, give us your comments, your feedback, uh, your likes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh if you like to help, share share this share this content. Um comment. Um there's there's somebody who needs to hear this. I know there's somebody who needs to hear this. Um yeah. Guys, this audio was produced by Exilic Music. You can find them at www.exilic.co.za. Shout out to my man Jeremy Kuris doing phenomenal work for the kingdom. 
mm-hmm. in the music industry and otherwise. Uh, I'm David signing out. And I'm John saying we got work to do. There you go. Basila Anna. Play there. And be safe, people. <laughs> <laughs>